election and predestination. It's a difficult matter. But it, but it fits in with what is at least one of the most important things the Scripture teaches, which is salvation. That if you look at all of the storyline of the Scripture, what the Bible reveals about God, the idea of salvation is central to that storyline. Right from Genesis 3, when man falls, God gives grace and makes a, a promise that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, the serpent which played a part in leading to this sin. It's going to be a descendant of the woman that crushes his head. And, and from there on out, you, you get this, this long arcing story about how God is going to save sinful man, how God is going to save his people. And this is one of the things Matthew says about the coming of Jesus. Matthew 121, he comes to save his people from their sins. And we, we know, you read the New Testament. You, you know, if you go to a Bible teaching church, salvation is at the forefront of what we believe. Because God is a saving God. And the great need of people who are all sinners is to be saved, to be forgiven of their sins, to be rescued from the wrath of God. Now, as you study your Bible, I just gave you a few little snippets there, but as you study your Bible and you look into this idea about salvation, one of the ways I, I like to think of it is it's like a gemstone. If you could imagine a big gemstone in your hand and it's a cut gemstone, so there's all these facets on it. And you turn it one way and it refracts the light in a certain manner. And then you turn it another way and, and, and it reflects in another direction. That, that salvation has a lot of different facets. That, that salvation is a big category. But within salvation you have the work of Jesus Christ. You have the plan of God. You have all of these words the Bible uses to describe salvation. Uh, redemption, justification, regeneration reconciliation, lots of words that the Bible uses to describe salvation. So what we're doing in here in this class, which is systematically studying what the Bible teaches, is we're now going to begin systematically studying what the Bible teaches about salvation. So one of the, the biggest categories of all of them is salvation. And in the study of salvation, it is normal if you're studying theology, to start with election and predestination. The reason for that is because if you're thinking about salvation, this is kind of, if, if you look at it as an order, this would be the first. This is something God did before the foundation of the world. So on your sheet there, I'm going to follow the sheet pretty closely. Some initial considerations. I'm actually, that first paragraph, I'm going to start at the, the third line. The, the, with anything, when we come in here to this room, when I try to lead us, our ambition is to know what the Bible teaches. That's the bottom line. That's what matters. What, what does the Bible teach? And, and we want to seek to study it and give attention to it. And then we want to believe what the Bible teaches with humble faith. That we want to believe what is written. Now, now this, a, a, an important principle, especially when you look at matters like this, is, is actually a biblical principle. One of the things Paul says is we don't want to go beyond what is written. That you want to take what the Bible says and believe that. Now, when you do that, oftentimes you're going to be left with questions. Because I hope you know the Bible doesn't reveal everything God has done or God is doing. And it doesn't reveal everything about what God has done or what God is doing. It, it, there, it is a limited revelation. Now, it tells us everything we need to know. Certainly tells us everything we need to know about how to be saved, which is very simple and clear. But it doesn't tell you everything. 
So what we believe needs to be based on the Scripture, and we don't want to go beyond the Scripture. And when we think about election and predestination, what, what I try to encourage people to do is, again, because what matters is what the Bible says, especially with this issue, and, and I'll talk about why in just a second, the best thing to do is open your Bible and look at the Bible and think about the Bible and pray about what the Bible says and search the Scripture. Now, that's true about any issue, but it's especially true when it comes to this issue. And some of the reasons for that is, as you look on your sheet there, because the doctrine provokes many questions. And the reason why it provokes many questions is because it's telling us things that God did before the foundation of the world. It, it essentially just says he did some things, but it doesn't explain it all or answer all of your questions. And to some extent, you've got to be okay with that. Not only does it provoke questions, this doctrine is perplexing to our minds. Perplexing to our minds. I mean, just trying to comprehend eternity, at some level, I think, is impossible for us. Because our minds are finite. Everything in our life and our experience is finite. Right? Life is going to come to an end, the life that we know. Uh, our experience is not infinite. We, we don't, like God, see the beginning, know the beginning, and the end. So we, by nature, are finite. and it's, so, so it becomes difficult when finite creatures come and, and seek to understand something that the, the infinite God has done. There's a lot on our sheet. Uh, one of the things that frustrates me a bit is the reality is the Bible talks a lot about election, a fair amount about predestination. I think predestination appears like five times in your New Testament, so not a lot, but election is in nearly every book of the Bible. I mean, it's just, it's common. It's a common dot. In fact, one thing to point out, it's commonality. When we talk about one another, we usually call each other Christians, right? And that's good. That's a biblical word, Christians. The Bible, I think, uses the word Christian two times. The Bible uses the word elect to describe Christians at, at least 18 times. So if you just take the vocabulary of the Bible, what does the Bible call Christians? It calls us elect. We shouldn't shy away from that. That's a Bible word that is commonly used in the New Testament to describe God's people. But, but one, one thing that happens when you discuss this issue is this is my take on it. I think a lot of people try to oversimplify it. The reality is this is an issue you just can't over... There is not a simple way to understand this one. <laughs> it's just not simple. Now, a person... Understanding that a person needs to repent and believe to be saved, that's simple. Incredibly simple. Uh, trying to understand what God did to, before the foundation of the world in electing people and predestining them to be saved, <laughs> that is mind-stretching. And, and quite frankly, it should be. Uh, add to that that this issue has been dis really debated among Christians since at least the 4th century. That's, a, that's about the time we start seeing some history about it. And the reality is that's not going to change. It's been debated because there's no simple answer to it. But here's the thing. Because a doctrine has been and is controversial is not a reason to ignore it. I remember when I was first reading through my Bible... Um, I started reading through my Bible in 1994 when I was a senior in high school, and then when I went into college, I was reading through my Bible. And when I would come upon election and predestination, which again is unavoidable if you read the Bible, I would just essentially ignore it. And in my thinking, I'll just come back to that later. I don't understand that. I'm just going to skip over it. That's okay, but for a Bible teacher, 
and, and for the responsibility of a pastor, that's not okay for me to do. If something's in the Bible, we need to teach it. We need to seek to understand it. So just because it's being controversial, that's not a reason to ignore it. Also with this issue, now this is my personal view, okay? And, and different Baptists and different Christians have a different idea about this one. I don't think this doctrine should be allowed to be divisive in the church. I don't, I don't think it's one of those that you should separate with other Christians over. Um, be, because it's so controversial and historically has been. And, and, and again, because the Bible only says so much. That, that we have to, I think, have allowances for understanding. Well, I can see how another Christian views this differently. And I'm, I'm clearly committed to loving that other Christian. Therefore, I can recognize I'm just going to believe something different than them, and that's okay. I think that's true for some areas of, of theology, like uh, when you're talking about the end times, there's some things the Bible speaks clearly about, like the coming of Jesus Christ. He is going to come. He's coming in power, and he's coming to reign. But the events surrounding his coming and the timing of all that, I think is pretty debatable. And, and I think you've got to allow for Christians to have some different ideas. I put election and predestination in that kind of a category where we allow for Christians to have some different ideas and different views about it. But when we have an issue like that, what we want to do is go to the Scripture. And again, the key answer for us, the key issue for us is, what does the Bible teach? Which is what we're going to get to in just a minute. Let me continue on just for a minute in this introduction. One of the ways I like that I think is helpful in looking at, at this one is, and really the whole doctrine of salvation, like I said, lots of different aspects to it, is recognizing that some of the aspects or discussions about salvation in the Bible are presented from God's perspective. This is what God, this is how God looks at it. Like, for instance, election. He chose us before the foundation of the world. None of us were there. This was God's doing. That's God's divine perspective, which again, I would remind you, God sees, knows, and declares the end from the beginning. None of us do that or have that. Or you think about some of the other aspects of salvation like repentance and faith. Those are from our perspective. I have to repent. I have to believe. One of the things uh, that, that gets difficult for some people with when you talk about election and predestination is it's hard for them to separate these things about repentance and faith which are absolutely necessary from the fact that God chooses from before the foundation of the world those who are saved. Now see, here's the thing. I don't think the Bible explains how you can hold both of those things in tension. That's where the Bible just doesn't answer all of your questions. What the Bible does, I think, and I hope to show you tonight, is the Bible teaches both of those. The Bible teaches both, the necessity to believe. Now, I think it's easier for us to believe in faith and repentance than it is predestination because we experience faith and repentance. Every one of us who is a Christian, we repented and we have faith, and we're still having faith, and we're doing it. We're trusting Jesus. Now, I think that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, but I'm still experiencing it. I experience and I'm intimately involved in my repentance and my faith. I was not at all involved in my predestination from God's perspective. Therefore, all I've got to go on on that one is what the Bible says, what God reveals about it, which again is limited. And, and when things are from our experience, they're easier to understand. 
All right, on your sheet, I've put some Bible verses. If you want to look them up in your Bible, that's fine. This is Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. We've got so many there. I'm just going to go ahead and start at the beginning of the chapter uh, and read the introduction. Uh, Ephesians 1. By the way, this is an easy question. There's not going to be trick questions in here. Uh, I'm not trying ever to trap anybody. Who is, who is the book of Ephesians written to? You've got to say it a little louder. I, I can't hear very well. One more time. To the saints and to those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So these are Christians. This is one of the keys to understanding the doctrine of election and predestination. Who is he talking to here? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who have believed the gospel. He's talking to saints. Ephesians 1. Let me go ahead and read this whole text and then we'll break down what is on your sheet. Ephesians 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now to our sheet. Ephesians 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, whether in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, starting there in verse 3, blessed be the God. So, so when he says this word blessed, what does blessed mean? It means to speak of God's greatness. We're talking about the greatness of God here. If you can imagine, blessed be God. I'm going to express the greatness of God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. So keep in mind from the very beginning, we're talking about blessings from God. He blesses God, praises God, because God has blessed us. Now notice in this text, one thing that is, comes really clear in the book of Ephesians is it is Christ-centered. These blessings are in Christ. That's why anything we talk about tonight is only possible because of Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now the heavenly places, what's that? Is that something you can see right now? No. No. The heavenly places is the unseen world where God dwells. So look at what we're talking about here, which hopefully will help you give, give you some context for understanding election and predestination. 
We're talking about spiritual blessings. Do you see that in that passage? He's blessed us with spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. All right? We're not talking about the temporal blessings of like a husband or a wife or money or food. We're talking about spiritual blessings. This is something God has done for you Christians. So these are spiritual realities. These are unseen realities that he is going to reveal to us. So this is all about how, how God has blessed us as a Christian. See, this is, uh, just as the introduction here, this is, this is why you should celebrate being chosen by God. This is a spiritual blessing. And it shouldn't be surprising that something like this is perplexing because it's spiritual. And it's something that God has done. And it's in Christ. Look at verse 4. Here's the first spiritual blessing that unfolds. And by the way, the words in bold are verbs where God is the subject. These are things God has done. I wanted to show you in this text, here are some things God has done. Here are some of these spiritual blessings. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He being God chose, that's where you get the word election, he chose us, so notice he chose people, he chose us, who's the us? The believers. It's in Christ, and notice when, before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world. It's mind-blowing. Nobody was there. This is, this, is, this is in the counsels of God who is eternally existent. This, this will help you understand in the book of Revelation, one of the ways the believers, the faithful people in the book of Revelation are described, two times John calls them those whose names were written in the book of life when? Do you know? Before the foundation of the world. If you read the book of Revelation, you're going to find that phrase two times describing Christians. One of the ways Christians are described is their names have been written in the book of life. When were they written? Before the foundation of the world. Now again, that should just blow your mind. It really should cause us to be in awe of God. Now look at the purpose of this. That we should be holy and blameless before him. Now see, here you get right off the bat into some of the practicality of election. That God chose you is not a reason to be lazy. Some people have a false view. It is an unbiblical and false view that if you believe in election, well, then it doesn't matter how you live because you're saved anyway. Absolutely not. That is not at all true. If we have time, I'll show you why. That's absolutely wrong. Part of the reason the Apostle Paul is talking about election here is that you should be holy and you should be blameless. This is one of the reasons God did this. Look at what it goes on to say here. In love, now keep in mind, you know your verse references are not inspired. The numbers, those are added later to help you get around in your Bible. That's why this sentence is broken up. <laughs> in, in love, he predestined us. So there again is the word. So predestination and God's choosing, it's in the Bible. The issue is what do you believe about it? What do you believe about it? And that's where you just need to wrestle with the scripture. But it's there. He predestined. Predestined means to determine beforehand. So what did he determine beforehand? Adoption. That you would be one of his children. How did he do that? Through Jesus Christ. Again, notice how Christ-centered this is. Now here's, here's one of the, the other keys to understanding this issue. It's this next little phrase. According to the purpose of his will. Which on the little sheet I printed out for you there, do you see the, the, the words in red? 
Look at how many times this appears. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, according to his purpose, according to the purpose of him, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Do you see what is over and over in this verse? That all these spiritual blessings, what is the purpose of these spiritual blessings? To praise God. Do you see that? Why did God do this? His purpose. See that? Really no other explanation given than that. This is God's purpose. It's the way he did things. It's according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Now notice what's praised there in verse 6. His grace. His grace. Which we'll talk more about as we move through this tonight. In which he has blessed us in the beloved. There's another, that blessed us should be, by the way, bolded. Because it's a, this, again, what God has done. He's blessed us. Notice, in the beloved. You want something to meditate on and think about? Christians are described as those who are in the beloved. In the beloved. One of the ways the Bible talks about you. You're in the beloved. Verse 7. In him, that's Christ. There's another in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. That should be bolded to us. And another verb that, that Jesus has done. He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So notice it's, it, this is in Christ. It's through Christ. As a plan for as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. What a statement. The purpose is to unite all things in Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus Christ must be at the center of your life if you're going to have a right comprehension of life. Because God has acted before the foundation of the world so that all through history, ultimately, everything would be united in Jesus Christ. If you want more on that, go read Colossians chapter 1, where you'll see that Christ is the center of God's plan for all things. Everything finds its center and focus in Jesus Christ. That's why in the book of Revelation, when you see worship in heaven, who's at the center? Jesus Christ. That's why he has been given a name that is above every name, because he died on the cross for our sins. Everything is united in him and points to him. Verse 11, in him, that's Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Now notice the language there. You see the word obtained? It's past tense. As a Christian, your salvation is sometimes in the Bible spoken of as past tense, done. That it is so sure and certain that it is spoken of as in the past tense. Again, we're talking about a God who exists in past, present, and future. You've obtained an inheritance. Now, by the way, isn't that good news? Now, keep in mind, Gail, who's this for? Who's this written to? Saints, believers, Christians. As a Christian, isn't it good news that you've obtained an inheritance? Isn't that good news to know that? Well, like, I mean, take Waylon. Waylon's facing surgery. No matter what happens in Waylon's surgery, because he and Katie trust Christ, that you have obtained an inheritance. That is good news. Now notice how you've obtained that inheritance. Having been predestined. Do you see why predestination is good news for the Christian? This, this links to the certainty of the fact that you've obtained an inheritance. Because you've been predestined, again, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, 
so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. Now, now we're going to transition a little bit. I hope you can see in the Bible, he chose us before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us. He did that so that we would obtain an inheritance. Now, that's not all the Bible teaches, as you know. That's not all even this text teaches. Because one of the, one of the, one of the main objections, which we'll be covering over the next few weeks, revisiting it, to election is, well, okay, if you believe he chose you before the foundation of the world, if you believe he predestined you, then what does it matter if you have faith? And what I want to just show you from this, this verse, this is one of the strongest verses in the Bible about election and predestination. I just want to show you in this verse, in the same paragraph, he talks about the necessity of faith and the place of faith. And the, the very simple point here is the two are compatible. Every one of the things, because I think the New Testament emphasizes, one of the things the New Testament emphasizes is the necessity of faith and repentance. Like if you read the preaching of the apostles in the book of Acts, one of the, the overwhelming messages you get in the book of Acts is repent and believe the gospel. And as Christians, and hopefully particularly as Baptists, we know that. And that is precious to us. And there is a tendency, because we so emphasize that, or the Bible so emphasizes that, which is a good thing, there's a reason why at every sermon I call people to repent and believe. I think that's the apostolic model. That we might think so much in terms of that that we would dismiss any idea of election and predestination. I would just say, that's not a good option. Why? Because look what the Bible says. All I want to show you here is, the two are compatible. The two are compatible. Now, what I can't fully tell you or answer, because I don't think the Bible does, is how. The Bible doesn't answer every question like that. But all I can tell you is the Bible teaches both. And this is what the Christian should do, in my opinion. The Christian should believe what the Bible teaches about election and predestination and celebrate that. And I'll give you some reasons in a minute why it's so important. But then also clearly affirm and hold to the absolute necessity and requirement of repentance and faith. I think if you study your New Testament, I think if you just study this text, you'll see both are essential. The Bible teaches both. Look what he goes on to say here. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth. So notice there's a time when you heard. A person is not saved apart from hearing the gospel. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So you heard the gospel, you believed in him. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There'd be another verb, what God did. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. The praise of his glory is the purpose. Now, let's move on to some other scripture. If you go to the next page. Again, the best way to deal with this issue, when you're talking about God or thinking about God, you recognize, I'm not going to have every answer, question, I'm not going to have every question answered. But I want to wrestle with what the Bible says and believe what the Bible says. I just want to show you a few other places in Scripture where this is taught because my hope for you is that you'll wrestle with the Bible. That's what we all need to do. In fact, I want the Bible to convince you of election and predestination. <laughs> I want you to believe something because you see it in the Bible, not because I'm telling you there's important reasons to believe in it. Look at 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. Similar idea here. 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So it begins with this call not to be ashamed. So uh, any idea of, well, you know, uh, you believe in election predestination, then it doesn't matter how you live. That's false. Don't be ashamed. Why? But rather share in the suffer suffering for the gospel of the power of God. Now look what he's going to say about God here in verse 9. God who saved us and called us. Now again, this is from God's perspective. In fact, when you look at the Bible and study salvation, you're going to find oftentimes God is the subject. God is the one who saves. God is, Jesus is the Savior. His work saves you. God saved us and called us to a holy calling. Notice it's not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So God saves you and God calls you. By the way, the word called there is, is just yet another one of these words that is used in the New Testament to describe our salvation. This one again is, a, is another one that is from God's perspective. You'll find it in Acts 2, where Peter explains who, who will be saved. Um, you'll find it all through the New Testament. God called us, but notice God did not call us based on our works. He did not save us based on our works. So God does not look at you, or God does not look through history, or God does not examine your life, and then based on what you do, save you on that basis. That's not why God saves anybody. This text tells you why he saved you. His purpose and what? Grace. Grace. What is grace? Grace is kindness or favor given to you by God that you don't deserve, which is, which is our only hope. My hope is not that I can do a bunch of good things and then God will look at it and be like, wow, he did really good. I'll save him for that. No, grace is the opposite of that. Grace is being saved or forgiven despite myself. And it's his own purpose. Look at the next one, 1 Thessalonians 1. For we know, brothers, loved by God. So again, keep in mind, writing to Christians, that he has chosen you. Well, this is interesting. How do you know God's chosen you? How, how does he know that God's chosen them? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So notice, so Paul is talking to these Christians and he says, I know God's chosen you. Again, recognize using the language of election or being chosen should not scare you because the Bible uses this language quite frequently. God chose you. Well, how do you know that? Look how he knows this. Our gospel. Okay, so this is the message of Jesus. The proclamation of the message of Jesus. Came to you not only in words, so it just wasn't, it wasn't just like sentences coming out of your mouth, no. It wasn't just merely information, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. And that's where I think you can see faith and belief. So again, how do you know this person's chosen? Well, because the gospel came to them in power, in the Holy Spirit, and they believed. They believed. Just let me make a quick aside that's not on the sheet. Just let me give you a, let's just take a time out and talk about something that's very simple. 
Because the idea of being saved is very simple. Predestination and election, Ephesians 1, is as deep and complex as you want to get. That's why you just need to study the scripture, wrestle with the scripture, and believe what the scripture says. But here's what's very simple in the Bible. How a person's saved. And I bet anybody in here could, 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 could do what I'm about to do. To be saved, a person needs to hear the gospel. Right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So this message about what Jesus did, this is the way God works to bring about salvation. Another irreducible minimum in salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, salvation is not just something that, well, I just decided today to be saved. No. It is the work of the Spirit of God. What does the Spirit do? Well, he does lots of things. He convicts us of sin. Right? right? We recognize the, the power of the Holy Spirit. I recognize I'm a sinner. He also opens my eyes to see the glory of the gospel. Like, for instance, I know that Jesus came to save me. So the Spirit convicts us. The Spirit teaches us. Some people say the Spirit convinces us. But, but the point here is, the, the work of the Spirit is essential for a person to be saved. Being saved is more than just communication of information or me trying to talk someone into being saved. It is a supernatural work of God. And that's what we need to see. That's what we want to see when we want to see people saved. We want to see a supernatural work of God whereby the Spirit convicts their heart, changes their heart. Ezekiel 36 changes their stony heart for a, stone, a heart of flesh whereby they love God. The Spirit convicts them. And the Spirit teaches them the truth about Jesus. And then what else is necessary for salvation? Repentance and faith. They respond. The person, the hearer, hearing the gospel, work of the Spirit, they respond in repentance and faith. So very simply, those are, those are absolute minimum necessities for salvation. Now what we're talking about tonight is, okay, we're talking to saved people. Let's talk to these saved people who have believed the gospel about what God did for you. Well, here's what God did for you. He chose you before the foundation of the world. All right, on your sheet there, one more verse of Scripture. Um, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice, again, we're, he's giving thanks, and notice who he's talking to, beloved brothers, brothers beloved by the Lord. And why is Paul giving thanks for them? Because God chose you. God chose you. Is first fruits. Some translations have from the beginning. But here's the key God chose you to be saved. You see that? God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Yeah. Well, right here we're talking about Christians. Right here we're talking about Christians. Let me get to that in a minute. We might have to get to that next week. I believe the scripture teaches anyone who believes the gospel can be saved. The requirement for salvation is believing the gospel. Um, that, that's where, again, the doctrine of election and predestination is written to believers. It's not my place to say, oh, that person over there is elect or predestined, therefore I'll evangelize them. That is just totally not what the Bible's teaching. This doctrine is, is written to believers to encourage them 
about what God has done for them. Um, but notice here, God chose you to be saved. One of, the, one, of the, one of the ways people try to write off the doctrine of election, again, one of the ways people deal with things that are difficult in the Bible is, again, I think they try to oversimplify it. And they'll take the word, you know, they'll take the idea of election. Well, God chose you for service. That's not what this passage says. No, he chose you to be saved. This is, and if you study your New Testament, you'll find it, to be chosen by God to, is, is linked to being a Christian. But notice this, it's not just election. And here's one of the things I'm hoping you, you're seeing in some of these scriptures that you'll certainly see next week in Romans 9 and 10. Notice, through sanctification by the Spirit, so there's the Spirit's work, and belief in the truth. Do you see right there? Chosen to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. There's not an idea of a person being chosen by God and then them not believing. Again, this is written to believers to encourage them. Verse 14, to this he called you. So in that little part of the sentence, to this he called you. Okay, who did the calling there? God. But notice how he did it. Through our gospel. All right. So that's, uh, that's some of the key uh, Bible verses on it. Um, let me now give you some encouragement. This is why, some, some reasons why I, I think you should believe in election and predestination. Um, take the Bible verses and wrestle with those. I'd be glad to talk to you more about it. I can't, I'll, I'll try to just go as far as the scripture goes. Again, this principle you see in the Bible, not going beyond what is written, I think is very important. I think when people try to go beyond what is written, they get into ideas the scripture doesn't teach. But I, I want to take just a minute and, and talk about how even though this doctrine is difficult, it is incredibly profitable. Profitable. Here's why. On your sheet there. These doctrines form the basis of our assurance of salvation and eternal security. This is why eternal security is true. This isn't just a Baptist idea. Okay? The idea that, that once a person is saved, that is a status that will not change. If you are predestined from before the foundation of the world, you will be glorified. This is why, essentially, any faith that monkeys with or tinkers with or denies the fact that once you're saved, you'll always be saved, has to have a different view of election and predestination. That this is, this is a key teaching with regard to how you know you will be saved. Now, just practically speaking, like for instance, let's take Waylon, who's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the ways I think this, if you look in your Bible, next week we're going to look at Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11. Not all of them. We're going to especially focus on 9 and 10. Because that deals with election and then the necessity of faith. It's not by mistake that Paul talks about election in one chapter of Romans 9, if you want to read ahead. And then he has the strongest chapter in all the Bible about the necessity of faith. That's where you get the, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse. They're back to back. They're compatible. But let's take Waylon, for instance. Um, and Katie. Waylon's going to have this surgery. This is not what he would have chosen. It's not what he wants. 
But because he's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what happens in surgery, which we're praying it'll be 100% and think it will, chosen by God before the foundation of the world, predestined to obtain an inheritance. And this is why these things are so important. If you look at Ephesians 1, especially Romans 8, Romans 8, this key verse in comforting Christians, at the heart of it is predestination and election. This is bizarre because a lot of people quote Romans 8 at the end, but they leave out the parts about that it's based on. You know Romans 8.28? How many in here knows Romans 8.28? A great verse. Do you know what comes before Romans 8.28? And do you know why that's true? It's true because of Romans 26 and 27. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Um, Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who can condemn? My point of this is, why is it important to, know, to understand these things? This is used in the Bible as a comfort to Christians in suffering. That's how the doctrine is used in the Bible. The doctrine is not intended to create like some big intellectual or academic debates, which it almost always does. It's intended in Ephesians 1 and in Romans 8 and in 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 10, to encourage a struggling Christian or a suffering Christian. Romans 8 is about suffering Christians there at the end. That no matter what the suffering, uh, Paul goes on in Romans 8 to say, we are being put to death all the day long. And you probably know this part. What can separate you from the love of Christ? And the answer is essentially nothing. The answer is nothing. He says we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered in Romans 8. How can you be regarded as a sheep to be slaughtered yet be more than a conqueror? Because of predestination. That's why. If you read back to where the sentence begins in Romans 8, 26, and 27. My point is this. Every Christian will very likely suffer in this life. And the reason why Paul wrote that in Romans 8 is to encourage the Christian, no matter what happens in your suffering, even though you're being put to death all the day long, you're, slaughtered, you're regarded as a sheep to the slaughter. Which, by the way, that verse it talks about having your throat cut. The way sheep are slaughtered is their throats are cut. Who can bring a charge against you? Why? Because God is the one who justifies. So this is where I think Christians give up a lot when they give up these doctrines because they're intended to encourage Christians. Or Ephesians 1, blessed us with spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. You want to give that up? I would say no. (laughs) You want to be thankful for that. So what should be the response to this? It should be humility as a Christian believer. Be humbled by the fact that what the Bible says about what God did for me, not on the basis of any of my works or anything in me, but on the basis of his grace and mercy. On our sheet, another reason why this is important, and we're not going to develop this tonight and probably won't um, in the future of this study, is these doctrines confirm salvation is not based on works, but by grace alone. See, this is where the works-based gospels, like the Mormons and the Roman Catholics, utterly and totally deny election and predestination. They have to. Because if it's based on something you do or you keep doing, what, what place do you have for election and predestination in that? In fact, you know what the Mormons do with election and predestination? Because they know it's in the Bible. I mean, it's convenient for them when you have a prophet who changes the Bible. They, they actually teach that the devil 
came and taught a different gospel, and the gospel the devil teaches is election. Because they believe in salvation by works. My point is, this doctrine is the death nail of salvation by works because it was God's work before the foundation of the world. It's not based on you. Now, on our sheet also, and we'll, we'll talk more about this, and we'll develop this more next week. This does not change or minimize the commands for everyone to repent and believe. Or to Gail's question, the fact that anyone who believes can be saved. Why do I think that? Because the Bible teaches that. One of the things, so, so Charles Spurgeon taught this about election and predestination as well. And somebody, one of his, a person who challenged him said, how can you reconcile that? How can you reconcile that Christians are chosen before the foundation of the world, but yet everyone is commanded to repent and believe? If they don't, it's on them. It's their responsibility. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the question to Spurgeon was, how can you reconcile those? And his very simple answer was, I don't need to reconcile friends. And his point was, the Bible teaches both of these. And there is a, there is a tension there but you don't have to view them as at odds. And this, again, is where you just need to read the Bible and you need to wrestle with what the Bible says. But I'll just tell you this. Uh, any kind of idea about election denying the importance of repentance and faith is, is a false idea. Now, there have been people that have believed that in the history of Christianity. That's just not biblical. Any thought that a person doesn't need to repent or believe or any thought that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, that's just patently unbiblical and wrong. This should not dull our evangelistic zeal. Um, I believe, again, we want to believe what the Bible teaches, what the apostles taught. I believe the apostles believed in election and predestination. That's why they write about it. And the book of Acts, like we said before, the focus is repentance and belief in the gospel. The, Bible, the book of Acts also talks about people celebrating because God appointed them for salvation. That's in Acts 14, 47. And my point in showing you this reference in Acts is this. The apostles and the early church are incredibly zealous to see people saved. And they believe that God appointed them for eternal life. That's just right there. It's a both and. Uh, these are compatible with the necessity of personal faith. Said that many times. They need to be held in tension. All right. So issues of foreknowledge and free will always come up. Romans 8 deals with those. So next week, Lord willing, we'll look at Romans 8, what it says. It's incredibly practical.